Today on CityCast Philly, a new report by the Education Law Center of Pennsylvania says Black girls in local public schools experience an oppressive school culture that holds them back and hurts their mental health. I'm speaking with the author of this study and a student about what that feels like and what needs to change. It's Wednesday, May 10th. I'm Trini Nuri, and here's what Philly's talking about. Paige Jokey, staff attorney at the Education Law Center and author of the study, We Need Supportive Spaces That Celebrate Us. And joining us is Amaya, a 12th grader from Philadelphia. Paige, I want to start with you. How are schools underserving these students? That is a great and ominous question. I think when we think about Pennsylvania schools, some context is really important. So first things first is we have a climate of inequity in every dimension of our schools. We actually have some of the most racially segregated schools in the country. We have the most economically segregated schools, and we have a funding system that was recently declared to be unconstitutional because of how discriminatory it was. Right. And that's just the funding. So we have schools where there aren't any teachers of color at all. We have schools where there are not the recommended number of counselors, where students are learning things about themselves and their culture that are oppressive. They're being pushed out of schools despite following rules at the same rates as everybody else because of discriminatory school rules and discrimination and enforcement. Our students go to schools where police are a fixture and are misused as disciplinarians. So students are arrested and then are forced to live with the collateral consequences of that and being funneled into the juvenile and adult justice systems. And we have schools that simply don't have what they need. And these realities make for a climate where we're depriving students, particularly Black girls, of the types of resources that are necessary to create environments that are conducive to learning. Okay, so Paige, who did you talk to for this study? So we co-hosted focus groups with five different organizations across the city that serve students and are focused on developing Black girls as leaders and as powerful advocates. Those groups are juvenile law centers. They are also Poppin, We Reign Incorporated, and Youth United for Change. And so what we did is we spoke to students who are the true experts and learned about what was going on in their schools. And then we connected what they shared with us to the larger conversation about research. Amaya, I want to bring you into the conversation. You were a part of one of these focus groups. How has your experience been at school? It's been up and down. It just so happens at my school that there are there are now three black counselors. When I was in ninth grade, there was only one. And the teachers that I have, most of them are not black teachers. And I remember during the focus group, one of the girls said that she never had a black math teacher. And she was like, she never had a black woman math teacher. And she's like, how much of a difference that would make in the way that I understood, the way that I comprehended, and the way that I interacted with the class if I had more teachers that looked like me. And when you're in environments where there's more black people, especially there's more black women, black girls feel more comfortable. And I know from experience, like last year, I had a teacher who was a little racist and the things that she said, and she made a comment about how HBCUs shouldn't exist because they're segregated schools. 
I didn't feel comfortable with talking to no one else about it except my black vice principal, who at the who now is gone. But when she was there, I spoke to her about it because she would have understood what I was saying. To other people, it seemed like I was just like nitpicking a little bit. But to her, she went through it before. So she knows that I'm not nitpicking, that this teacher is obviously like singling certain people out or acting a certain way because of how she feels. And that the comments that she made were not just innocent comments. They were things that were coming from bigotry and the way that she felt herself. And when it comes to the dress code, it does feel like, especially at my school, that white girls get away with more things than we do. Can I ask you a little bit about the dress code? What is the dress code? So at first it was like no excessive rips. The shorts couldn't be like too short, like booty shorts. Your skirt has to come to a certain length, no crop tops, no like midriff, which some girls put on regular shirts and just happen to show midriff. Um, but if you have midriff showing, you're in violation of the dress code. Dresses, it's like a certain way that you can wear dresses. For example, like if it's like a, a dress and you just happen to have bigger boobs and the dress happens to like sink like the material like that, you might get dress coated. But if that same dress was on somebody who was flatter, less curvier and white, they would not get dress coated. Paige, when you hear stories like this, what are your thoughts? Like what, what comes to mind? Unfortunately, this is not an isolated experience. Every single one of the girls we spoke to for our focus groups was able to recount a time where they experienced anti-Black racism as a result of the dress code. And also the attorneys who were facilitating the focus groups could relate in our own experience. Mm -hmm. What is clear is that dress codes uniquely harm Black girls because they are adultifying and they often ban specific forms of cultural expression, like um, some schools ban things like excessive parts or hairstyles that aren't neat, which are used to unlawfully discriminate against folks who wear protective styles like myself. Which are braids and twists yes. and faux locks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the beautiful, expansive way that many Black people choose to express their identity and culture are specifically targeted. And these dress codes also target other forms of expression. You can't wear lashes. You can't wear nails. You can't wear hoop earrings larger than the size of a quarter. You can't wear do-rags or Timberlands. And so what schools do is they will describe right around cultural boundaries. And what they will do is they will punish students. And oftentimes these punishments are expulsions, which means that a student is permanently removed for how they're showing up to school. And a lot of these rules are gendered as well. They're specifically targeting girls, which is also illegal. <laughs> and they create systems of discrimination around that and a preoccupation and really hypersexualization of children's bodies, particularly black girls' bodies. And if I could just say one thing about hair discrimination, because the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission is clear that race is inclusive of traits historically associated with race, including hair texture and protective styles. So this type of discrimination is illegal in Pennsylvania. So if your school is doing this to you, you have rights. 
and what is happening is both racist and against the law. To kind of touch on what Paige said, when I went to a charter school, we had that rule where we couldn't have earrings that were bigger than a quarter. And when we did, we did get in trouble. That's wild to me. Like, what? We got in trouble for that. In middle school, elementary school, you wouldn't have recess, you wouldn't have lunch. Like, you would get expelled for constantly, like, violating the dress code. The dress codes are going against black girls' bodies. Paige, how have schools responded to the report? We're getting a lot of great feedback about the report, and I'm hopeful that it opens up a lot of really robust and deep dialogue. I know from my experience working on other matters where anti-Black racism has been at the forefront, I'm hopeful that we can have a lot of productive conversations about ways to create durable change. So, for example, if you have a dress code that is vague and subjective and adultifying, like Amaya was talking about with like excessive rips. What does that mean? Is it up for discretion? If the answer is yes, it's up for discrimination. And we know in the facts that it is about discrimination. There was a great report put out um, by the Government Accountability Office that talks about discrimination being on a wide national scale and dress code. And so I'm really hopeful that schools will do what is necessary to create these types of environments where Black girls can thrive, that they will invest in culturally responsive curriculum, that they will champion Black teachers and Black support folks who are in schools and make it an environment where Black professionals want to go and stay, that we will have schools that are prioritizing mental health and that are being very intentional about removing police from schools and are looking at their own relationships to anti-Black racism. What would you say to critics who say, well, you know, if you want to be in this particular school environment, you need to follow these rules? You know, we get a lot of that. And the first response is, and they have to follow the law, right? Racial discrimination and racial harassment is against the law. And what our students are experiencing are education civil rights violations. So for the folks that say, If you want to not experience racism, don't come to my school. I encourage them to actually repeat that back to themselves, to hear the gravity of that, and then work towards creating environments that are safe, affirming, and loving for Black girls. Paige, I'm curious, does this happen in predominantly white schools, predominantly Black schools? Is this across the board? We talk to students who attend an array of types of public, middle, and high schools, predominantly in the Philadelphia area. So we're talking neighborhood schools, magnet schools, selective admissions, charter schools, cyber charter schools, opportunity network schools. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you universally, it was true that anti-Black racism was overwhelming. It did not matter the type of school, the student demographic of the school, um, the location of the school, it was it was something that everybody had experienced, which was really difficult. Um, as you'll see in the report, there is some discussion that is necessary about what it is like for a Black student or a Black girl to be the only person of color in the room. And so you'll see in the report that we talk particularly about experiences where students are asked about slavery, where they are put into positions to be spokespeople, where they are treated in a way that causes trauma that can last a lifetime, that people remember years back and creates an environment where learning 
become synonymous with experiencing trauma. And no student should be put through that at all. Paige, I know how that feels when once you, once you hit that chapter of history and you start to talk about slavery, I know how it feels to have all of the eyes in the classroom hit you and people ask you questions and I'm like, I don't know how to answer this. I'm learning this as 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 much as you're learning it. I definitely, definitely agree with you, especially when you two were talking about how people, when you're learning about Black history, especially slavery, they look to you like I've been through it, that I am got off the boat. Like, I don't know because I'm in the class to learn for a reason. Paige, you have eight recommendations for how school administrators can better support Black girls. Can you tell us what they are? So recommendation one is schools need to hire, retain, and support more Black teachers, administrators, and staff. Recommendation two, Black girls need access to supportive and affirming adults at school. Recommendation three, schools must implement culturally responsive and affirming curriculum. Recommendation four, dress and grooming codes, if used, must be fair, inclusive, and must affirm students' cultural and gender expression. Recommendation five, Schools must provide culturally affirming mental health supports and increase the number of school-based mental health providers who share lived experiences and identities with Black girls. Recommendation six, police should be removed from schools. Recommendation seven, schools need sufficient resources to fully educate Black girls and support their academic success. And finally, recommendation eight, Schools must adequately respond to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. What would it take for schools to actually implement these changes? Talk to Black girls about what they need, right? The students we talked to were super clear that what was happening to them was wrong, and they had ideas for how to change it. But unfortunately, Black girls' expertise isn't honored. Oftentimes, they go unrecognized as experts or what is happening is seen as normal and deserved because of anti-Black racism. And so there is a lot of research out there that is compiled in the report. So for folks that are looking to improve your schools, look at your demographics. Who isn't there and why? Are you supporting students of color, teachers of color, and other professionals of color in your school so they can stay and want to be there? What are the lessons you're teaching students about themselves, their history, their worth, their ability to learn. A lot of it is learning and also recognizing that this reality is not normal or fine. I think that's a lot of the work that we have to do is people coming up to speed with these conditions and labeling them as unacceptable for any child, particularly for Black girls. Not only do you have to talk to Black girls, but you have to hire people who have the mindset to listen to what we have to say and to put people in the rooms with us that actually care for what we have to say instead of just like, oh, yes, good idea. I'm going to write it down. And then nothing happens until like 50 years later. Nobody wants that. We're tired of bumping into the same problems over and over and over again. This is just segregation 2.0. Everyone's tired of that. I feel like sometimes people forget that We're talking about children and this is a learning environment. So if I'm an adult 
and I'm treating other children like this, the other children will mimic my behavior. I think sometimes adults, we we forget that these are impressionable children and our actions also, you know, impact that culture. Amaya, what would you like to see your school do for future students? I would like to see more Black women teachers because that's like, I feel like that's important, especially because we just got a bunch of new Black students because my school was one of the schools that were targeted for the Magnet System program. And we got a whole bunch of Black students, but the white teachers don't really know how to address their behavior. So they're like, oh, during advisory, we're just going to put them all in the cafeteria so they don't run around the hallway. I feel like that if you would have got teachers from the schools that these students were coming from and the people who have the background to teach Black students, we wouldn't have this problem in the first place. Amaya and Paige, thank you so much for sharing with us on CityCast Philly. Thank you for having me. Yes. We'll have a link to the Education Law Center's full report in our show notes. And here's what else Philly's talking about. Residents and fellows at Penn Medicine voted to unionize this week. According to the Daily Pennsylvanian, the group is the first to organize these workers in the state. Residents say they want better working conditions and the right to weigh in on decisions made at the hospital. It's reported that a Penn Medicine spokesperson said they respect the decision of the group. And 6ABC reports that the Teamsters Local 830 Union has come to an agreement with Liberty Coca-Cola, ending a four-week strike at their North Philly plant. Liberty Coca-Cola leaders say they are pleased with the new contract, which includes better benefits and wages. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to sign up for our morning newsletter too. It's called Hey Philly. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.